0: Well, if you'll go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Second Thessalonians chapter one. For some of you who are visiting with us today, we uh, did do a series through First Thessalonians, and as we begin in Second Thessalonians, uh, just give a little background information. This letter was sent back to the, Thessalonica, the Thessalonican church, or Thessalonian church, um, probably a couple months after the other one was sent, and. We get the picture that persecution has increased, that it is harder to be a Christian and serve the Lord there in Thessalonica than it was before. The heat has been turned up, not to use a pun for the temperature in the room today. But um, anyway, it's uh, they were going through great hardship as they were serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that you guys are familiar with hard work. I know the farmers and the ranchers, but I'm going to pick on the farmers today, that they have been busy for months now, you know, preparing their fields, you know, they purchased the right product, they've prepared their fields, they sprayed their fields, they've drilled or planted, drilled, right? They've drilled the ground, sounds so weird, Uh, they drilled the ground planting that seed and... You know, I was here and started seeing that wheat come up when I first came to the church, and it was very encouraging to me. But even in the time, the three months that I've been here, we've had some freeze. We've had hail in the area, not greatly here, but some other places. We've had that fungus that's been kind of spread, and people have been trying to spray, and the airport was making a lot of money on those, um, dust croppers, crop dusters. I've inverted it, doesn't it? But anyway, um, I'm such a city slicker. I'm still learning all these terms. But anyway, uh, as I've taught to some folks, they've had some damage to their crops, and I feel bad for them because they've worked so hard, you know, and they have a certain percentage they think is going to be really good in harvest, and the, and the weed is starting to turn really amber looking, and it's, you know, looking really good. And I'm, I'm looking forward to my first harvest here and just kind of experiencing the life of you know the eastern plains during time of harvest but you know when these things come in like hail free you know freezing temperatures uh, insects like aphids or the fungus that can really discourage you in your hard work and in the new testament the christian is likened to a worker that is working in a field a field of harvest right and uh, but sometimes that work in the field can be really intense and can be very can be a great hardship, and praise the Lord, you don't, you know, experience persecution in the field. But for Christians, that is true. That sometimes our faith is attacked as we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, like these Thessalonians uh, believers, and it can really discourage us. Now, I know that in America we have religious freedom for now, and so you know we don't really suffer some of the great religious persecution that goes on in the world today where people sometimes when they identify themselves as a Christian, depending on the state church or the state religion of the country they live in, they may be forfeiting their lives for taking a stand, for being baptized and identifying themselves as a Christian. They may be laying down their lives. Now in America, that is not the case and I hope it never becomes that way. But I believe we do as Christians. We are persecuted to a degree. Um, We are criticized sometimes for sharing our faith with others. Oh, that's not the place for this. We get criticized for that. Um, Sometimes we're insulted for upholding the standards and uh, uh, commandments of the Word of God. Sometimes we're ridiculed by our own family for how zealous we are for living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And even the media, media, media whatever, uh, you know, they, you know, they label us as, you know, extremists, you know, hateful, ignorant extremists. They liken us to some of the Islamic extremists. Uh, even in, you know, they, because we use the name Fundamental Independent Baptist Church, and they say, "Ooh, these fundamentalist Christians are wackos." But we believe the fundamentals of the Christian faith, and we're not going. And we're going to stand on those, and we're going to defend those, and we're not going to add to the gospel or take away from it. And sometimes we receive a lot of heat for that. And some people that you know, they have a great testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, and they suffer for it, you know. And what we and the great truth of Second Thessalonians chapter one is that God is always faithful in our times of suffering. God is always faithful in our times of suffering for the faith. Not just sufferings like I got sick or I have this disease, but people who take a stand for Christ. When you take flat for it, when your faith is attacked, the Scriptures here in chapter 1 encourage us that God is faithful. We look at America and we know people that change. People that were Christians and then they have, they walked away from the Christian faith. Or we know the culture that we lived in. And the, th- the fact of the matter is is that people change, cultures change, but this chapter encourages us that God never changes. That He is always faithful and He is always true and that He keeps His promises to His children. And the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Thessalonica to... Encourage them in their persecution in chapter 1. And I want to just take that situation and apply it to you and me. You may know someone that is a great Christian, that has a great testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, and life is not very easy for them because of the stand they take for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe they're a first generation Christian, and the rest of their family is not how can you encourage them you can encourage them in the same way the apostle paul encouraged the thessalonians he reminded them of the faithfulness of god in their times of suffering how does god encourage them first of all he praises god's faithful work in their lives verses 3 through 5 he shares promises of god's faithfulness for the future in verses 6 through 10 and then in the verses 11 through 12 he prays for God to empower their service for Christ. How can you encourage others when their faith is under attack? Praise God's faithful work in their walk, spiritual walk. Um, my son is in here, Josiah. I have three sons and a daughter, but Josiah, I'm gonna pick on him since he's the oldest, and you know, I've, I've seen, you know, him him grow and develop, you know, longer than my other kids. And I remember when Josiah was brought home and he was one of those babies that his eyes were just wide awake, you know, like, you know, open looking at everything that's going on and didn't sleep at all, hardly, because he was so attentive. And he's like that. That's his personality. He is attentive. He sleeps very soundly when he sleeps. But when he's awake, it's like he's full, he's going full steam and he wants to learn and he's inquisitive. He's been like that since we brought him home from the hospital. But And I think it was, I forgot to confirm this with Crystal, but I, in my mind, recollect him starting to crawl at 10 months. Is that right, Hun? Walking at 10 months? Okay, I thought I wasn't sure. Yeah, at 10 months of age, he started walking. So, I mean, he was even crawling before that. So I remember when he started walking. I remember when he started, you know, tolling around as a 10-month-old. And, you know, I'll, I'll just encourage you, he doesn't do that anymore. You know? He doesn't go like this anymore as he's walking around in church, okay, trying to keep his balance, learning how to keep his balance. Before he started school, I remember he would be running for basketball. They tried to teach him basketball there in kindergarten. But when he first started school, you know, his running wasn't exactly synchronized, you know. It was like skipping or something, you know. And so, uh, but you, you see him run now, and it's all coordinated, right? And see, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's praising these Thessalonian believers for their progress in their faith. They're not tolling around anymore as you know young Christians, even though he wasn't there for a very long time. But they are walking for the Lord in their spiritual walk. They are increasing. They are growing in their spiritual walk. And that is what should be happening to every believer. But when believers are under attack, sometimes they can't see that. And so they need some praise. They need some encouragement. They need someone to point out, you know what? I've really noticed how God has really been working in your life. And these things that I'm going to point out that, that in regards to spiritual growth that the Apostle Paul notices, he prayed for every one of these things in First Thessalonians chapter three. And God answered those prayers in their life. First of all, he praises God for giving spiritual strength in their our spiritual growth in their trials. Verse 3 says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet or appropriate, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. And the charity of every one of you, all toward each other, aboundeth. That word groweth exceedingly has a picture of like a tree that grows. And you see it grow and it grows upward, right? It gets bigger and stronger. And that's how it is with faith. In trials, you have to exercise your faith muscle. And the more you exercise your faith, the stronger it gets, right? And that's exactly what was going on in the Thessalonian church. And Paul praises, not the Thessalonians to give them a big head, but did you notice in verse 3, he praises God. God is the one that brings spiritual growth and brings faith to increase in our lives. God caused their faith to grow exceedingly. And it also says that God caused their love to abound continually. And this is kind of like, um, that word abound is like flooding over. And some of you guys that are maybe are close to South Platte know about just how it's kind of overrun its banks. And I saw a picture of it going over some railroad ties. I'm not sure exactly where it was. But, you know, it was... The body of water was going up so high that these trains, I heard, had to go really slow over those tracks or even stop because the water was going over the rails. And that's the kind of love that's pictured here of these Thessalonians. It was abounding. It was running over towards others. Can you imagine that? They were loving others while they were suffering. Their eyes were off of themselves and they were on other people. That's only a work of God. And Paul praises God's work and spiritual progress in their lives. And then God causes their endurance to encourage others. Uh, At the beginning of verse 4, he writes, "...so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure." What he's saying here is that he is writing from Corinth, which is another port city, and I guess that's how he heard how the Thessalonians were doing because he didn't send Timothy back or Silas back like he did before. But he is hearing through the grapevine, through the commerce, through traveling over the sea there. They're up in Thessalonica. He's down in Corinth and Achaia. And the Mediterranean goes, you know, they travel down that way to go get word. Both of them are port cities. And he is so encouraged by how they are enduring under such great persecution from without and tribulation, the circumstances that they were in. That they were enduring these hardships. That they were accepting that, you know what, the Christian life is sometimes not so easy, but we're still going to be faithful to Christ. And he used them as examples to encourage other churches. Because after he left Thessalonica, where did he go? Berea. And after he left Berea, where did he go? Athens and Athens to Corinth. And so all these different bodies of Christ that were created through the gospel the spread of the gospel, these people were encouraged by when he pointed them to Thessalonica. You see how the Thessalonians are being faithful and these people were encouraged to continue on. And the same is true with believers today and we read about these Ukrainian churches. I didn't read the little section about Eastern Ukraine, but there's churches in Eastern Ukraine that have been destroyed. Their buildings have been destroyed. Pastors who are still living in the area, they haven't fled because of the uh, Russian uh, attacks and invasion. They haven't fled. They've stayed there. And they're without water. They're without electricity. Living very primitively. And they are enduring. And when we get reports from BIEM of how these churches are thriving, it should encourage us how God is working, and He is enabling them to remain faithful even in times of persecution and hardship. So, not only does He praise God for giving spiritual growth, but He also praises God for giving spiritual grit. And I'm from the South, so I know about grit, or grits at least. Okay, so praise God for giving spiritual grit in trials. Verse 5 or verse 4 and 5 so that we ourselves. Glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest, manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. We see here that their trials stretched the patience or the endurance of their faith. And it also these trials showcase the maturity of their faith. Uh, it was a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. Basically that God, it was basically confirming what was really going on within. The fact that they were remaining true and remaining faithful to the Lord really just confirmed their verbal testimony with their actions. That people says, you know what? They're the real deal. They didn't quit. They didn't throw in the towel. They kept the faith. They were the genuine thing they're really christians and uh i don't want you to underestimate the value of praise not of people but of what god is doing through people i'm not that i don't consider myself a great preacher and this would be my second ministry i've been in Uh, the first ministry i was in was in arvada and i remember when i was there and i was preaching i didn't preach all the time there but when i I had occasions where I was able to preach series, and I tell you there were people in that church. I'd walk I'd walk out of there and Chris can and give you testimony. Usually when I'm done preaching, I usually I usually rate myself up, down both sides. You know, I just I just really criticize myself big time. Uh, there's not anyone in this room that's a bigger critique of my sermons than me. And so I tell you that some of those sweet people at that other church would come up to me and say, Wow, you really have—you know—you really have gotten better in your preaching since you first came, you know. And I don't know exactly how to take that, but uh, you know, it encouraged me. You know, it encouraged me. They said it seems like you have a little bit more freedom, you know, and you know, you're just a little bit more relaxed when you preach. And man, Pastor, you really, God really used you in that message, and I'm really thankful for how God's working in your life and how He's growing you as a preacher. And Crystal has been like that too, that she's encouraged me and has noticed. But you know, for me, would have never noticed that. I've never seen that. I still don't. I still don't think I'm that great of a preacher, but you know, but that's kinda how it is with us Christians. A lot of times we look at our own selves and, you know, we don't really see actually how we've grown sometimes. Um, Satan uses our heart to discourage us sometimes. You know, we read this verse in Sunday School, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And um, <clears throat> I believe that our sinful flesh uses our heart to deceive us sometimes, to discourage us. Where we beat up ourselves that we're, just, that we're useless to God and that we're not good enough for God. And I tell you, when you see someone that's going through affliction and their, ta- their faith is being attacked, I tell you, there is nothing more valuable than going up to them and saying, you know what? I have been so encouraged by how God has been working in your life. I've been so encouraged. I've seen how your faith has grown. I see how you just have such a love for others. And I know that life has not been real easy for you, but you've really remained faithful. And it's been a a challenge to me. And it's been a blessing. I just praise God for how He's worked in your life. And these are some practical ways of how we can minister to those to those people that we know when their faith is under attack. Second of all, we should also point out God's promises for their trials. God does offer hope. We see in that first point that the the believers had love and they had faith, but they really didn't have hope. Many of them, and you'll see in next week's message as we go into chapter 2, that the people in Thessalonica thought they were living in the day of the Lord. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul wrote and said, the day of the Lord has not come yet. And it's going to come upon unbelievers, not believers. That, you know, the day of the great tribulation. It's coming upon unbelievers, not believers. And, and in chapter 2, he, he mentions that some kind of false letter has been sent to this church. And they're in great persecution. And someone impersonating Paul has said that the day of the Lord is upon us. <clears throat> so these people were, excuse me, <clears throat> were thinking that they were in the great tribulation and they were being discouraged. Has God left us? Has he not, does He not care about the persecution we're under anymore? And the Apostle Paul writes to encourage them, first of all, that their, God is there. He is working in their lives. And then also that He's faithful and He's provided promises for the future. God has given you in His Word hope for suffering, hope for times of suffering. And he's faithful to keep his word. Actually, the Bible says that he exalts his word above his very name. And so, it's no way that he's going to renege on the promises that he's given in his word. First of all, I want to point out one promise that we mentioned in Sunday school. We covered the Beatitudes this morning. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10-12, through 12, it mentions that there's great reward for those who are persecuted for righteousness sake that there is that those that are persecuted for Jesus sake actually there's great reward and so for people that are undergoing great suffering and they're being criticized for the faith they need to be reminded that they do have a reward coming and we don't do it for a reward we don't do it to earn salvation but there is great reward in being faithful to Christ and there is a reward for those who remain faithful. Also, it says in verse 6 through 7 that there's recompense that will be given when Jesus comes. Verse 6 says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire. So when Jesus comes, He's going to recompense or repay. That's a big word for repay. Um, He's going to repay what has been sown. These people who have sowed certain things in their life, they're going to reap certain things in their lives. In verse 6, tribulation is going to come to the persecutors of Christians. That they're going to suffer tribulation. At this time, we suffer, but in the future, they're going to suffer. They're going to have distress. They're going to have trouble. And in verse 7, it's encouraging, it should be encouraging to the believer that there's going to be rest for those that are persecuted. And that word rest was used for the releasing of a bowstring when you shot an arrow. That tension was going to be released. And there was going to be rest for the believers in Christ. And specifically, justice will be served. In verses 8 through 10, <clears throat> for time's sake, because I'm wanting to cut my message a little bit short for the baptismal service, uh, let me just get to some points here. First of all, Jesus, when he comes, will execute divine justice, it says that he will take vengeance on them in verse eight, that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word vengeance does not mean revenge. It kind of is misleading. It means an act of divine justice. It's only used for God, not human beings. When Jesus comes, He's not taking revenge for the sufferings that you have incurred. What the vengeance is talked about here is an act of judgment based on, did you read it in the text? These people didn't know God. And these people did not obey the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're spiritually lost. It's not because they persecuted the saved. It's because they didn't know God. And there is a day of judgment that comes. That's going to come. And after our short life here, there will be judgment. It's not vindictive. It's not revenge. And these people will, I believe, be put to physical death when Jesus comes back. The people that are unsaved and they remain. Let me just read the context of that day from Revelation chapter 19. This is what's going to happen when Jesus comes. It's going to be the armies of the earth are going to be assembled against Him. And John writes, I saw the Antichrist. This false person who says I'm the Savior, and he's not. He says, I saw the Antichrist and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against Jesus, Him that sat on the horse and against His army from heaven, I'm supplying that. And the beast, or the Antichrist, was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. But what happened with the rest of the people there? It says in verse 21, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. I believe this is a physical death at the day of Armageddon where I believe Jesus the sword, of his, the sword proceeding out of his mouth is the word of God that Jesus is going to come and just speak the word and they're going to drop dead. And they're going to be in hell. And when I when I say hell, I don't mean the lake of fire. I mean hell. A place of Torment, And then it says in the passage that these people <clears throat> are going to be punished with everlasting destruction. And I apologize for my voice. I've been recovering from a cold and it's not quite gone. Um, eternal destruction. I, I don't want that phrase to mislead you. It's never used in the New Testament for annihilation, for total destruction. When someone that is lost and they, are, and they die they are not going to be destroyed. Their soul is not going to be destroyed in hell. It's going to suffer in a place called hell forever. That's what that word destruction means. It means ruin, and it talks about suffering. And I don't mention this to say, aha, they're going to get it. I mention it because it's a sad reality as we look at the unsafe people that are around us. As I talk about these different things, I hope that you don't think that I'm hateful and that I wish this on anybody. Don't think that God wishes this on anybody because Second Peter chapter 3 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so He doesn't want anyone to suffer spiritual death here. An eternal death. But it also mentions that they'll be separated from the presence of the Lord. From the glory of His power. That they're going to be they're going to suffer eternal separation from the presence of God, from the glory of God, and from the power of God. Let me tell you, my friend, when this happens, there's no hope for the unsaved person. If there's anyone, any being in the universe that could save a soul, it would be God. And it says here, because of their rejection of the Gospel and the fact that they don't know God personally through a relationship through Jesus Christ, they're going to be isolated forever from God. There will be no hope. They'll be separated from the only being in the universe that could save them from their sin. They are hopeless. And they're going to suffer forever for their sin. And so as I mentioned this, this should give us a burden for the lost. That we would take the Gospel to them. And then it's also... A promise that Jesus will establish divine rule, verse ten. When He shall come, He shall be glorified in His saints and be admired in all them that believe. And this is going to happen when Jesus comes and sets up His thousand year kingdom here on the earth. And we're going to have glorified bodies, and there's not going to be any more. Uh, we're not going to have a sin nature anymore, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And uh, if, and after we're raptured. The church is raptured. We're going to come back with them for that day of Armageddon. We're going to be part of those armies. It's going to be so cool to come riding on a horse from heaven. Isn't that going to be awesome? I don't know. I just don't know exactly how it's going to be, but just taking it literally, it's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? But we're reminded here, Paul is reminding the Thessalonians that God cares for them and that He has not forgotten them. <clears throat> and um, that He never promised the Christian life would be easy, and He encourages them to live for eternity and not for the present. <clears throat> and then in verses 11 and 12, we're coming to the end. Thank you for suffering with my cough. It says, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is going on here? He's praying for God to empower their service for the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, that God would empower their testimony, their Christian testimony. That they would be seen by the world that they are the real deal. That they are genuine Christians. That they are worthy of the Kingdom of God. Not in and of themselves, but they can see that God has brought a change in their life. And that they are really going to heaven Because they can see this. And again, God brings these trials into our lives not so He can know our hearts. He already knows our hearts. He does it to reveal what's in our heart to ourselves and also to others. And that's what is in picture right here. He also prays that God would empower their desires for His goodness. That they would have the right desires here in the world and have a a ministry to the unsaved. That God would empower their acts of faith in verse twelve, and that in verse eleven and then in verse twelve, that God would empower their witness, verse twelve, where it says that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified you in you and ye in him, according to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. let's just get to the main points here that when you're going through times of difficulty, when your faith is being attacked, remember, that God is faithful. And when you see others, maybe even our own missionaries that are struggling as they're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's very evident that the devil is attacking their ministry, we should send them encouragements. We should pray for them. We should praise God for how He's working in their ministry. We should remind them of promises and of the hope that we have for the future. And also pray for them that God would empower them while they're under this great stress and strain. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for this chapter in 2 Thessalonians. And thank You, Lord, for Your empowering today. And Lord, I do pray that You would just allow Your Word to sink deep into the hearts of Your people. And Lord, that we would seep through the trials that we might be going through, the sufferings that we might be going through, and that we would realize that You are still there. You care. You haven't forsaken us. And Lord, that You are working through our trials to stretch our faith, to um, increase our faith, to mature us in our faith. And so Lord, if there's someone here today that they've been witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ, and they got criticized this last week, they're kind of discouraged with the circumstances that they're in because of their obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you'll encourage them today with this passage of Scripture that you are faithful and that you haven't forsaken them. And Lord, I pray that they would draw close to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.